something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the happiness formula. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Last time we learned about how our economic system laid the groundwork for our modern work life and how that influences our own happiness. This episode, it's all about cash, baby. Dough, moolah, dollar, dollar bills. Can money buy happiness? Sure. We'd all love to win the lottery and never have to worry about money ever again, obviously. But without that kind of luck, you have to be successful first, right? So what makes a person successful? And does lottery-level wealth actually make us happy? Today, Barry gets into all of that and why some people are more likely to succeed than others. Turns out, there's a secret sauce to all of this that goes beyond just talent. Plus... He challenges just about everything you thought you knew about money. Having said all that, I think it's time to cash in on Barry's insights. Here he is. We ended last time talking about an idea that Angela Duckworth calls grit which is the ability or willingness to stick with tasks that are hard. And she's done a lot of research on grit. And the reason is that what she finds is that grit, perseverance, is much more important to achievement than, say, IQ. If you measure how gritty somebody is, it's a better predictor of college grades 
than their SAT scores. Uh, we don't know much about how to build or foster grit in people, but we do know at this point that this may be the single most important attribute to achievement. So she's devised a little scale that enables people to figure out how gritty they are. Um, so I'll read the items. If you're driving your car, don't, don't write anything down, please. Uh, but how much do you agree with these five items? I am an extremely hard worker. I finish whatever I begin. I am diligent. I never give up. I have achieved a goal that took years of work. Setbacks don't discourage me. I don't give up easily. If you agree to those, if those sentences seem to describe you, the more you agree with those, the more gritty you are. And now there are five more items. New ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. My interests change from one year to the next. I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. I've been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lost interest. To the extent that you agree with those five items, you're less gritty. And so you can basically answer these questions for yourself and compute grit score. And um, it turns out that the grittier you are, the more likely you are to have significant achievements in life. And grit is both engagement with tasks and perseverance with them. And the perseverance part is important. You know, if, you're, if you want to become an expert pianist, you love to play the piano, but I don't think that everything you do and when you practice is pleasurable. If you want to be an, a star soccer player, playing soccer may be totally pleasurable, but spending an hour and a half in the weight room or running laps is not pleasurable. So there are things that it's necessary to do to achieve excellence that a gritty person will do even though the doing of those things does not in itself provide pleasure. So we often underappreciate how much hard work it takes to be good at things that seem to be fun. They are fun when you're expert at them, becoming expert at them. Some of that is fun. Some of that is not. And so achievement depends on grit. It depends on perseverance. We don't know, as I said, what produces grit in people. We think that there's some mixture of supportive and demanding parenting or teaching or coaching or supervising. In other words, you want simultaneously to set high standards as a teacher or a coach or a parent and to be supportive as your pupils or your children uh, try to meet those standards. And it's not easy to maintain the balance between 
setting high standards and expecting them to be met, and at the same time acknowledging the efforts uh, and the accomplishments of the people who you're uh, supervising. The critical point, and this will come up again when we start to talk about wisdom, is that there's no formula for this. Some kids need a lot of support and not so much in the way of demands. Other kids need less support and substantial demands. The magic combination of supportiveness and demandingness is going to be different for each kid. Each kid you teach in your first grade class and each kid you raise in your house. No formulas. And this, as we'll see next time, is the heart of uh, practical wisdom. Another point I want to make, getting back to PERMA, positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement, you'll notice in that list of determinants of happiness that there's one thing missing, and that thing is money. Money just does not matter very much to how much well-being people feel. Research on wealth and happiness is pretty clear. When you achieve a certain level of material comfort, a certain material standard of living, basically the standard of living of subsistence or better, that makes a big difference. If you're below that level, you're miserable. And if you're above that level, you're okay. But additional wealth beyond that contributes remarkably little to the level of well-being or satisfaction or happiness that people experience. And that's really quite striking, since when you talk to people, they tend to think that their life would be perfect if only they made 10% higher salary than they currently make. Most of us believe that. Most of us believe that if we just get a little bit more material success, all of our problems will go away, and we're wrong in thinking that. Money contributes rather little to happiness. Uh, research that's been done in the U.S. by two Nobel Prize winners, Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton, have shown that basically emotional well-being levels off among uh, adults in the United States at an income level of 75000 a year. So maybe with inflation, you'd need to add another 10000 to that. The point is that once you're making hundred k, your emotional well-being will not be improved if you make hundred twenty k. Below hundred k, then yeah, you, can, you will benefit from increasing salary, but much less than people think. What matters much more than the money we have is the kind of work we do to get the money we have. And that's we'll see again and again as we work through this course. There's another interesting thing about uh, pursuing wealth and achieving it. It turns out rich people are really different from the rest of us. There's been a lot of research done essentially on the kind of social sensitivity of people as a function of where they stand in the uh, wealth and income hierarchy. 
And the research is kind of clever. Uh, you know, you can't go to somebody and say, how, how much money do you have in the bank? And then ask them, are you a nice person? They, you're hardly going to find anything out that way. But what one study did uh, is, you know, you come uh, in cities, there are often uh, intersections where there are four-way stop signs. Uh, so everybody has to stop going either north, south, or east, west when they come to that intersection. And there's a kind of uh, social norm that the car on the right goes first, and you kind of go around the circle in that way. And so uh, researchers stood at one of these intersections with a camera, watched cars come to the intersection, and simply kept track of how much they honored this social norm about who leaves the intersection first. And what they found is that people driving expensive cars were much more likely to violate the social norm than people driving inexpensive cars. If you drive a Toyota or a Honda, you wait your turn. If you drive a BMW, you just barrel ahead. Uh, it's like rich people feel like they are entitled to the right of way, whether they uh, really the social norm says it's their turn or not. Similarly, if you're a pedestrian waiting to cross a street that doesn't have a stoplight, and you look at the drivers of cars that are on that street, drivers of inexpensive cars respect pedestrians' right-of-way. Drivers of expensive cars ignore the pedestrians almost 50% of the time. In addition, in, this, in Manhattan, the ultra-crowded borough of New York City, people who drive expensive cars are much more likely to double park than people who drive inexpensive cars. Double parking means you park alongside a parked car and in that way block an entire line of traffic. Well, if you have a BMW, you feel entitled to do that. And if you have a Honda, you feel less entitled to do that. Oddly in, and interestingly, in addition, wealthy people are much more likely to shoplift than poor people. <laughs> that seems very weird, I know. Uh, in addition, wealthy people give a much smaller percentage of their income to charity than uh, non-wealthy people. And so the general picture you get from all of this is that one of the things that having material resources does is it makes you remarkably less interested in the welfare of other people, in kindness, in politeness, in turn-taking. You feel a kind of entitlement that comes with your wealth that middle-class people are less likely to feel. And what this almost certainly does is it, it compromises the quality of the social relationships that you have with others. So this is a striking finding about wealth that implies that wealthy people are probably less happy than less wealthy people, in part because they have less high quality social relationships with others. So it's not an accident that PERMA does not include the acquisition of material goods as one of the key determinants of happiness. There's one other thing worth mentioning. If you have 
substantial material resources, what do you spend them on? There's been research to suggest that people who spend their money on things get less satisfaction out of them than people who spend their money on experiences. Now, it's not easy to draw a hard, sharp line between things and experiences. You know, is uh, a cabin in the woods a thing? Well, yes, but it's also what enables you to have the experience of being, uh, being in nature. The point is that it's the experience of being in nature rather than the cabin that matters to people's well-being. And if you spend money on doing things rather than having things, the money you spend will have a bigger impact on your well-being than if you spend that money on having things. And the reason for this, I think this is quite interesting and it relates to PERMA. The reason for this is that we are much more likely to do things with other people than alone. And so focusing on using your resources to do stuff almost certainly means that you will be focusing on using your resources to spend time with people who you like, admire, and value. You can own your car and nobody else in the world needs to be around for you to own your car. But typically when you go hiking or camping or take a trip to Europe or go to a restaurant, you're doing it with other people. And it is the social character of those experiences that makes them so rewarding. And so money matters less than we think it does. And activities matter more than things. These are important lessons to keep in mind as you make decisions about what kind of job to take and why and how to do that job and how to spend the money that that job makes available to you. This, of course, all assuming that you'd rather be more happier than less happy, which seems to me to be a pretty reasonable assumption. Well, sounds like living a rich life is more rewarding than actually being rich. We're heading into a quick break, but when we're back, Barry tells us how one secret of happiness could be setting low expectations. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, let us turn now to one last point about happiness, and that is how good are people at making decisions that promote their happiness? The discipline of economics basically assumes that the aim each of us has in life is to make choices that maximize our happiness. Economists don't say happiness, they say utility, but utility can be essentially interchangeable with happiness for our purposes. How good are we at knowing how much satisfaction various decisions will give us. When we're trying to decide where to go on vacation, how good are we at assessing which possible vacation site will produce the greatest satisfaction for us? How good are we at predicting the consequences of our decisions for ourselves? And there's been a lot of research done to suggest that we're not very good at it. We uh, are susceptible to a series of errors that get us the, to mispredict how satisfied we'll be with the decisions that we make. The uh, psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who I've 
already mentioned to you, who won uh, the Nobel Prize in economics, had this to say uh, about our ability or inability to predict our satisfaction with decisions that we make. He said, nothing in life is as important as you think it is when you're paying attention to it. I'll say this again. Nothing in life is as important as you think it is when you're paying attention to it. What does this mean? Well, consider this study. You ask college students in California or in Michigan whether they would be happier if they went to college in the other state. So you're asking students in California whether they'd be happier in Michigan, and you ask college students in Michigan whether they'd be happier in California. Now, think about this question for a moment. What the question essentially gets you to pay attention to is the weather, the climate. California is warm and sunny. Michigan is cold and overcast. And so, in effect, the question you're asking these Michigan college students is, would you be happier in a place with better weather? And it gets them to pay attention to the weather. What it gets them not to pay attention to or to pay much less attention to is the quality of the courses they're taking, the workload and whether they can manage it, the nature of their relations with roommates and friends and classmates, all that stuff, which presumably would be no different in California than it is in Michigan, becomes recedes in significance because the question I've asked you has gotten you to focus on the weather. And so Michigan students think they'd be much happier in California. But in fact, when you ask California students how happy they are and Michigan students how happy they are, there's no difference. So it doesn't really matter to your well-being whether you go to school in cold Michigan or warm, sunny California, but people think it does matter. And so you can easily imagine thinking that it matters where what climate you go to school in will influence where you decide to go to school, what schools you apply to will influence, will get you to pay a lot of attention to something that's pretty trivial and not very much attention to the things that really matter. And what that will do in the end is get you to make bad decisions because you're making them on the basis of an inaccurate understanding of what matters to you. And what Kahneman and his coworkers have found is that the, the research is full of examples of people not understanding well what's most important to them in terms of their well-being when it comes to make, making decisions. So consider how good is a B-plus grade on an exam or a paper? The answer is, it depends. Were you expecting an A or were you expecting a C? If you were expecting a C, B-plus is fantastic. If you were expecting an A, B plus is a failure. And so how good a particular event is, is to some degree dependent on how good you expect it to be. And if you have very high expectations, you will often be disappointed, even though the quality 
of the experience you've had is is actually quite good. You've had a very good experience. You've gotten a very good grade, but just not as good as the grade that you expected to get. So we are very much influenced by what our expectations are going into a decision, and they color our evaluation of the effects of the decision. I'm fond of saying that the secret to happiness is to go through life with low expectations. If you go through life with low expectations, you will seldom be disappointed. If you go through life with extremely high expectations, you will almost always be disappointed. And what's going to matter in the end is whether you're disappointed and not the sort of objective quality of the experience. Another thing that we fail to appreciate is that we adapt. We adapt to things. Something that's extremely uh, pleasant when we first experience it just becomes normal. Think about being outside in a 95 degree, 98% humidity summer day, and you walk into a building and it's air conditioned. And it just feels fantastic to be in the air conditioning, cool, dry, just bliss. Uh, And you think you're going to feel great forever in this air conditioned building. But of course, you don't feel this way forever. You feel this way for a few minutes and then it just becomes normal. You get used to it. The pleasure we experience in the short run simply becomes something that we get used to and no longer provides us with pleasure. We may be appreciative that we're in an air-conditioned building, but it's not a hedonic experience anymore. And somehow we think that pleasant experiences will remain pleasant forever. This has a lot of impact when it comes to people making decisions about purchasing what are called durable goods. The car you buy may fill you with pride and pleasure for the first month that you have it. But after a while, it's just your ride and you're going to have to look somewhere else for pleasure. And so our failure to take account of this process of getting used to good things may well lead us to devote our time and energy to pursuing resources that will end up disappointing because they only give us pleasure for a very short time. And so, to conclude, the research on our ability to make decisions that serve our well-being is that it's a minefield, and there are lots of pitfalls, and we often make decisions that do not serve us very well. And the consequence of that is that even though we think we're trying to do things to serve our happiness, we're not. And to me, the clearest example of this is when people choose work on the basis of compensation rather than on the basis of the kind of work they will be doing. You spend eight hours a day engaged in the work. Then you get a paycheck and the stuff that you buy with that paycheck produces short-term satisfaction. What you have to do to get that paycheck may produce long-term misery. Next time on The Happiness Formula, we learn about a fellow named Aristotle. 
and why practical wisdom is so important. The Happiness Formula from One Day University is a production of iHeart Podcasts and School of Humans. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review in your favorite podcast app and check out the Curiosity Audio Network for podcasts covering history, pop culture, true crime, and more. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.